Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh. We're here to give you a part six of Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring today. We will be closing out the novel already. It seems like it went by so fast. Uh, you know, two weeks ago we covered the movie differences part one. Last week we covered like the previous five chapters, and all of a sudden we're here at the end of the first book, and it's like, man, where did the time go? It seemed to uh, really you know speed along. So uh, this is kind of where other parts happen. You know, we talked about the climax uh, last week. So what we're doing this week for another climatic moment, uh, just because of the way the first movie ended, which we'll cover next week. We decided to take the last three chapters of The Fellowship of the Ring and add the first chapter of The Two Towers to it. So we're covering four chapters today. That's going to be Farewell to Lorien through The Departure of Boromir, which is the first chapter in The Two Towers book. So that way it kind of lined up with the differences that we'll talk about next week as well. And so, uh, yeah, I'm excited to jump into it. There's a big scene at the end. Uh, You know, it's a lot, it's way more... uh, downplayed I guess I could say in the novel than it is in the film but it's still an important part to me uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about it today so before we jump on into it and get started I'll turn it over to Chase uh, to say a few words and then we'll get to it yeah man let's do it just like you said a hundred percent agree with you 100 as they say with the red hundred emoji <laughs> we flew through it man it uh it, but you know that's that's the that's what's nice about enjoying the ride right now because even though we flew through the fellowship it's not like the beast has been conquered yet <laughs> so we got to still got a little bit of a ways to go we got two more books to get through uh, i'll let you take it away jay nelly's got some big parts on this one today uh, and i'll let him kick us off for this afternoon sounds like a plan to me let's put our glasses in the air and raise them up uh, here's to the end of the Fellowship of the Ring. Today we're finishing up that novel, and you know we got some good stuff coming ahead. Cheers, brother. Cheers, brother. All right. Uh, before we jump into what we're going to talk about this week, let me give you guys a quick recap of last week. We tackled uh, the Ring goes south through the Mirror of Galadriel. Those were the the previous five chapters. A couple things that happened there. We got the full Fellowship making their way on their journey to Mordor to destroy the One Ring. We go through like Caradras, the mountain, decided to turn him back. The, the weather was a little uh, finicky and they decided they couldn't go any further. So they had to go through the mines of Moria. And a few cool things happened in there. <laughs> Not only did they get attacked by wolves on the way down, talking about the novel, uh, back from the mountain into the pass there. But when they finally got into the, the actual mines of Moria through the door when they hit the password, a kraken or an octopus, whatever you want to call it, grabbed them and you know dragged Frodo away. They got through that, went back to the inside. The kraken crashed the exit, so they couldn't go through. So they had no choice but to make their way through the mines. We had that that big battle in the I would say the tomb room where Balin's body was laid on. Uh, you know, big little cool little stuff there. Frodo took a spear to the chest. Sam got you know some sort of head wound uh but you know they all survived that they finally made it through and unfortunately as they were about to escape the mines a big old balrog came through gandalf sacrificed himself for the good of the team said he cannot pass broke the the bridge with the staff and him and the balrog fell into the abyss after the balrog hit him with the whip 
and that you know is where that ended out for the mines, and they end up going to the the fabled uh, woods of Lothlorien. They find uh, Celeborn and Galadriel. We find out Galadriel has one of the Elven Rings of Power. She has Frodo look into the into her little mirror there. He sees some crazy things and freaks him out. Uh, but yeah, those are kind of the big highlights of what we went over last week. Now, you know, this week, like I said, we're going to start off with Farewell to Lorien, and we're going to close it out with the first chapter in Book 2, which is called Departure of Boromir. So my first, uh, in, in this first chapter that we're going to cover here today, Farewell to Lorien, I just have a couple big takeaways that I have on this one. First one being, uh, Lord Celeborn gives the company the option to either leave or stay. They're not going to force anyone to go further if they choose not to, and that's kind of been the theme. Like, Elrond kind of said the same you don't have to go any further than you choose to. You know, the ring bearer has his task, but, you know, we're not going to, you know, shame you all if you decide this isn't for you. You know, we understand the kind of, uh, you know, burden this is going to place on it. So they all decide to continue the journey. But the cool part here is they must make a choice to either go west to Minas Tirith or east to the darker shore. And Boromir, obviously, he really wants to go to Minas Tirith because he's from there. And you know, that's going to come up to play kind of big here towards the end of the novel uh but yeah he feels like uh with or without the rest of the company he he his journey is leading him back to Minas Tirith that's where he he will depart the fellowship is when they kind of make that decision do we go east or west if they decide to go east Bormir by himself will go west to Minas Tirith unless anyone else wants to follow him and we'll see how that turns out <laughs> uh so there's like, like a little two paragraphs I wanted to read on my book it's page 414 it's very possible that it's different in everyone else's, but yeah, the first, the, I'm sorry, the last two paragraphs, this is regarding Boromir's words to Frodo about the ring and kind of how it all started going downhill. So this is what Boromir says. He says, I shall go to Minas Tirith alone if need be, for it is my duty, said Boromir, and after that he was silent for a while, sitting with his eyes fixed on Frodo as if he was trying to read the halfling's thoughts. At length he spoke again, softly, as if he was debating with himself. If you only wish to destroy the ring, he said, then there is little use in war and weapons, and the men of Minas Tirith cannot help. But if you wish to destroy the armed might of the Dark Lord, then it is folly to go without force into his domain, and folly to throw it away. He paused suddenly, as if he had become aware that he was speaking his thoughts out loud. It would be folly to throw lives away, I mean, he ended. It is a choice between defending a strong place and walking openly into the arms of death. At least that is how I see it. And Frodo caught something new and strange in Boromir's glance, and he looked hard at him. Plainly, Boromir's thought was different from his final words. It'd be folly to throw away what? The Ring of Power? He had said something like this at the council, but then he had accepted the correction of Elrond. Frodo looked at Aragorn, but he seemed deep in his own thought and made no sign that he had heeded Boromir's words. And so their debate ended. Merry and Pippin were already asleep, and Sam was nodding. The night was growing old. So, the reason why I want to read that is because it really does foreshadow things that are to come and where... The, the the start of like this internal struggle of Boromir is starting to come out and uh, you can see his thoughts are getting a little clouded you know it's almost like a horcrux you know the closer you are in proximity to this thing the more it messes with your head and like brings out the worst of you and so that's why I, I really wanted to read that that portion there then going on from that next big thing I have is you know the elves give the fellowship boats and other supplies such as lembas bread, camouflage co cloaks, coils of rope, and I thought this was kind of cool too. 
at the top of page 418, and this isn't really kind of shown, and I know they've got to do things for dramatic effect in the movie, but this is something I thought was really cool. Uh, Legolas and Gimli became friends a lot quicker in the novels, and this is exactly what it says. Like, in the third were Legolas and Gimli, who had now become fast friends. So that's uh, talking about the third boat. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool, because remember, they Legolas would take Gimli with him to... Uh, around Lothlorien while the rest of the company was doing other things. It's almost like he was happy and like excited to show the dwarves their way of life because they have such big differences between the two factions, you know, dwarves and elves. And so I thought that was really cool how they, they really became close friends faster than what, it is, what you might remember if you just have watched the films. Uh, yeah, they have a final feast with Celeborn and Galadriel. Uh, I thought this was kind of cool. There's another foreshadow of Ents and Fangorn Forest. I'll go ahead and read the second paragraph of page 419 there. I thought this was pretty interesting, but um, I'm sorry, the yeah, second to last paragraph, it says, after they had, uh, sorry, as you go down the water, you will find that the trees will fail and you will come to a barren country. There, the river flows in stony vale amid high moors, until at least after many leagues, it comes to the tall island of Tindrock that we call Tolbrandir. There it casts its arms about the steep shores of the isle and falls, then with a great noise and smoke over the cataracts of Roris into Nindelf, the wetwang, as it is called in your tongue. There is a wide region of sluggish fens where the stream becomes torturous and much divided. There the Entwash flows in by many mouths the forest of Fangorn in the west. About that stream on this side of the great river lies Rohan. On the further side are bleak hills of Emin Mule. The wind blows from the east there, for they look out over the dead marshes and the no man lands to Sirith Gorgor and the Black Gates of Mordor. So I just wanted to talk about that because that's something that comes up in the next book that we'll talk about, uh, the Fangorn Forest and something about that, the, the Entwash there. I thought that was pretty cool. And then uh, Galadriel gives each of the members of the Fellowship a gift. And I'll go ahead and actually kind of read out all the gifts that were given. So for me, this is going to be on the uh, fourth paragraph of page 421 through half the page on 423. So let me go ahead and give you this here. It says, Yet maybe this will lighten your heart, said Galadriel, for it was left in my care to be given to you should you pass through the land. Then she lifted from her lap a great stone of a clear green set in a silver brooch that was wrought in the likeness of an eagle with outspread wings. As she held it up, the gem flashed like the sun shining through leaves of spring. This stone I gave to Celebrian, my daughter, and she to hers, and now it comes to you as a token of hope. In this hour, take the name that was foretold for you, Elisar, the elf stone of the house of Elendil. Then Aragorn took the stone, pinned the brooch upon his breast, and those who saw him wondered, for they had not marked before how tall and kingly he stood, and it seemed that many years of toil had fallen from his shoulders. For the gifts you have given me I thank you, he said. O Lady of Lurian, who of whom were sprung Celebrian and Arwen Elvenstar, what praise could I say even more? The lady bowed her head, and then she turned to Boromir and gave him a belt of gold, and to Merry and Pippin she gave small silver belts, each with a clasp wrought like a golden flower. To Legolas she gave a bow such as the Galadrium used, stout and longer than the bows of Mirkwood, and strung with a string of elf hair, and with it a quiver of arrows. For you, little gardener and lover of trees, she said to Sam, I have only a small gift. She put in his hand a little box of plain gray wood, unadorned save for a silver rune upon the lid. Here is set G for Galadriel, she said, but it also may stand for garden in your tongue. 
In this box there is earth from my orchard, and such blessing as Galadriel still has to bestow is upon it. It will not keep you on your road, nor defend you against any peril, but if you keep it and see your home again at last, perhaps it may reward you. Though you should find all barren and laid waste, there will be few gardens in Middle-earth that will bloom like your garden if you sprinkle this earth there. Then you may remember Galadriel and catch a glimpse far off of Lorien that you have seen only in our winter. For our spring and summer are gone by, and they will never be seen on earth again, save in memory. Sam went red in the ears and muttered something inaudible as he clutched the box and bowed as well as he could. And what gift would a dwarf ask of the elves, said Galadriel, turning to Gimli. None, lady, said Gimli. It is enough for me to have seen the lady of Galadrium and to have heard her gentle words. Hear all ye elves, she cried to those about her. Let none again say that dwarves are grasping and ungracious. Yet surely, Gimli, son of Gloyan, you desire something that I could give. Name it, I bid you. You shall not be the only guest without a gift. There is nothing, Lady Galadriel, said Gimli, bowing low and stammering. Nothing unless it might be... Unless it is permitted to ask, nay, to name a single strand of your hair, which surpasses the gold of the earth as a star surpasses the gems of the mine. I do not ask for such a gift, but you commanded me to name my desire. The elf stirred and murmured with astonishment, and Celeborn gazed at the dwarf in wonder, but the lady smiled. It is said that the skill of the dwarves is in their hands rather than in their tongues, she said, yet that is not true of Gimli, for none have ever made to me a request so bold and yet so courteous. And how shall I refuse, since I commanded him to speak? But tell me, what would you do with such a gift? Treasure it, lady, he answered, in memory of your words to me at our first meeting. And if I ever return to the smiths of my home, it shall be set an imperishable crystal to be an heirloom of my house, and a pledge of good will between the mountain and the wood until the end of days. Then the lady unbraided one of her long tresses and cut off three golden hairs and laid them in Gimli's hand. These words shall go with the gift, she said. I do not foretell for all foretelling is now vain. On one hand lies darkness, and on the other only hope. But if hope should not fail, then I say to you, Gimli, son of Gloin, that your hands shall flow with gold, and yet over you gold shall have no dominion. And you, ring-bearer, she said, turning to Frodo, I come to you last, who are not last in my thoughts. For you I have prepared this. She held up a small crystal phial. It glittered as she moved it, and rays of white light sprang from her hand. In this phial, she said, is caught the light of Arendelle's star, set amid waters of my fountain. It will shine brighter when night is about you. May it be a light to you in dark places when all our lights go out. Remember Galadriel and her mirror. And Frodo took the file, and for a moment it shone between them, and he saw her again standing like a queen, great and beautiful, but no longer terrible. He bowed and found no words to say. So those are just the gifts that were given to the members of the fellowship. Thought that was important to, to you know notate out because some of those do come up big later for uses that you know, seems when things seem lost. Uh, you know it's not necessarily so. And the last thing I had to say on this chapter is they finally load the boats and depart Lorien. And with that, I'll go ahead and turn over to Chase for the takeaways he's got on this chapter. I had the exact same ones, man. <laughs> Back to you. That was perfect. You nailed it. Oh, sweet. The biggest <laughs> thing was Legolas and Gimli. I thought it was really cool that they said that. But because, you know, I'm a Legolas guy, I had to slide that in there. <laughs> Back to you, man. Good stuff. For sure. Uh, yeah, so uh, the next chapter is called The Great River. Got a few takeaways on this one. Uh, so one thing I noticed is that, you know, as the company was paddling the boats along the river, they could see the difference between the east side and the west side. Like everything on the east side looked dead and desolate, and the west side still had some life to it. And so those are the two options they had to choose between. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, 
Sam in the novel, he saw a log with eyes. Something is following them, he tells Frodo, and they deduce that Gollum is on their trail. Uh, Frodo tells Aragorn, and Aragorn already knew, and he actually had tried to catch Gollum a few times at night unsuccessfully. And he basically told him that they, that Gollum's been following them since Moria, which they had an idea that that was what was happening, because he kind of made like sneak appearances in passing in Lothlorien, and also in the mines themselves when Frodo thought he heard different like steps of feet that are outside of their own. So they actually, we do have confirmation that it is Gollum, and Aragorn tried to catch him. And it's kind of funny, because Aragorn is the one that caught him uh, that in the first part of this book when Gandalf and him were trying to get information and they couldn't catch him and Aragorn finally did looks like Gollum learned a few tricks and does not allow Aragorn to catch him again So, uh, from there the next takeaway I've got is Aragorn and Legolas they see a hunting eagle in the sky which worries them because it's far from the mountains where the eagles usually hunt so I thought that was kind of interesting and what uh, it could be like a foreshadow of, of stuff to come also, Aragorn made a mistake and realized that they were further along than he thought and almost got them in big trouble entering the Deadly Rapids. And as they attempted to turn the boats around against the current to safety, they're attacked by orcs on the eastern side that are shooting arrows at them. And it was kind of cool that, you know, it, it doesn't show this in the film. This is one of the parts I really like that they did here. It said that one of the arrows, like, bounced right off of Frodo's chest. Again, you know, with the mithril underneath it, it doesn't harm him. Dude, he's, he's catching some blows, man. He got the spear in Moria. He got the knife from the, the ring wraith way earlier. And now he's catching arrows in the chest. Like, my man can't catch a break. You know? <laughs> so uh, they, end up, they end up getting away from the orcs shooting at them. And I wanted to go ahead and read another passage here. It starts on page 435 in my book. Go ahead and take that a little bit. So this is from Legolas here. I'm going to go ahead and just read two paragraphs. It says, Elbrith Gothoniel, sighed Legolas as he looked up. Even as he did so, a dark shape like a cloud, and yet not a cloud, for it moved far more swiftly, came out of the blackness in the south and sped towards the company, blotting out all light as it approached. Soon it appeared as a great winged creature, blacker than the pits in the night. Fierce voices rose up to greet it across the water, and Frodo felt a sudden chill running through him and clutching at his heart, there was a deadly cold, like the memory of an old wound in his shoulder. He crouched down as if to hide, and suddenly the great bow of Lorien sang. Shrill went the arrow from the elven string. Frodo looked up. Almost above him, as the wing shape swerved, there was a harsh choking scream as it fell out of the air, vanishing down into the gloom of the eastern shore. The sky was clean again, and there was a tumult of many voices far away, cursing and wailing in the darkness, and then silence. Neither shaft nor cry came again from the east that night. And so for me, uh, I don't know if I want to give it away, but I have an idea of what that creature was. <laughs> it was one of those things that maybe our uh, friendly or not so friendly black riders may be using. <laughs> Say that. So it's not, uh, it's not confirmed, but I think it's pretty easy to deduce that. And that's all I'll say for now. So I thought that was cool. Uh, on top of that. Uh, the next thing I've got is Boromir and Aragorn debate how and where to proceed. Aragorn tells him he wants to stand in the high seat of Amenhen to potentially get a sign that will guide the fellowship on the next course of action. Boromir tells him that he will go no further than Amenhen and depart the fellowship alone if necessary from there to return to Minas Tirith. 
And from that, I've got Aragorn and Legolas. They go on ahead of the party to scout the area, and they find a path. They tell the rest of the company to wait one day, and if they haven't returned, to assume that evil befell them and to choose a new leader and follow that new leader. But it wasn't necessary because Aragorn and Legolas returned in like two to three hours saying they found a good track to go along. So that was good. Uh, they pass through Argonath, the Pillars of the Kings. And that's one thing I'll read. There's the last paragraph on page 441. Take that piece right here. So it says, As Frodo bore towards them, the great pillars rose like towers to meet him. Giants they seemed to him, vast gray figures, silent but threatening. Then he saw that they were indeed shaped and fashioned. The craft and power of old had wrought upon them, and still they persevered, or preserved through the suns and rains of forgotten years the mighty likenesses in which they had been hewn. Upon great pedestals founded deep waters stood, stood two great kings of stone. Still with blurred eyes and crannied brows, they frowned upon the north. The left hand of each was raised with palm outwards in gesture of warning. In each right hand there was an axe. Upon each head there was a crumbling helm and a crown. Great power and majesty they still wore, the silent wardens of a long-vanished kingdom. Awe and fear fell upon Frodo, and he cowered down, shutting his eyes, not daring to look up as the boats drew near. Even Boromir bowed his head as the boats whirled by, frail and fleeting as little leaves under the enduring shadow of the sentinels of Numenor. And so they passed into the dark chasm of the gates. So I thought that was pretty cool because you actually do see that in the film and they do a really good job with that. I think, you know, very, very well. That was well um, versed on that end. So I thought that was pretty great. And the two immortal things I have, just two of the second and third paragraph on 442 here. I'm going to go ahead and tag that. So I've got, uh, fear not, said a strange voice behind them. Frodo turned and saw Strider and yet not Strider. For the weather-worn ranger was no longer there. In the stern sat Aragorn, son of Arathorn, proud and erect, guiding the boat with skillful strokes. His hood was cast back, and his dark hair was blowing in the wind. A light was in his eyes, a king returning from exile into his own land. Fear not, he said. Long have I desired to look upon the likenesses of Isildur and Anarion, my sires of old. Under their shadow, Elisar, the Elstone, son of Arathorn, of the house of Valandil, Isildur's son, heir of Valendil, has not to dread. I wanted to detail that because it seems like Aragorn's finally like, com like coming into himself. Like he's he's starting to accept the fact that who he is. Like he tried to like hide. In my opinion, to try to hide behind this guy's just being a ranger, being the lone wolf kind of guy, kind of hiding from his destiny because he was terrified that the power of the ring may you know t t go kind of turn him to darkness like it did with his uh, you know ancestors. So to me, this is this was a big moment because it's almost like Aragorn's really coming into himself and we're going to kind of see a little bit about that uh, coming up here in just a second and so that's just the last thing I want to read there and the only takeaway I have after that is the choice is finally at hand to go either east or west the last stage of the quest was before them at this point in time and so that's the last takeaway I've got for that chapter here again that chapter is called the great river and I'll turn it over to Chase to see what kind of takeaways he had for it yeah man glad to see we're on the same page because <laughs> we had the exact same ones again uh, just a quick uh, side note here. Uh, we'll talk about the differences next week, but um, one thing I liked that they did really well in the film was the pillars. Uh, the pillars look fantastic. Like the visuals in the film uh, for 2001 are stunning. So just throwing that out there, I thought it was a great, 
Yeah, man, but that's all I had. That was that was fantastic. Uh, I'll let you take chapter 10, the big one here. Yeah, you know, this one's called The Breaking of the Fellowship. This is, you know, chapter three out of the four that we're going to do today. Uh, some of the bigger takeaways I've got on this end is Aragorn awakens in the night and asks Frodo to draw his sword Sting to see if orcs are near. And to their shock, the, the blade was dimly glowing, meaning the orcs were near but not yet upon them. So now they've got like a real choice. They've really got to make a choice now because they, they are being pursued by orcs. It's been confirmed. The sword's glowing dimly blue. So Frodo asks everyone for one hour to make his choice on which path to take, either the east path or the west path. So Frodo walks off and is pondering his thoughts, and Boromir eventually appears. The ring finally takes its hold on Boromir, and he goes on a tirade about using the ring as a weapon against Sauron and asks Frodo to lend him the ring. Frodo refuses, and then Boromir tries to take the ring from him. And Frodo, he has to do something that really is not a good look. He has to put the ring on to escape Boromir, and that's going to cause some issues. Because you guys know like the power of the ring, once you, once you put it on, like the minions of the Dark Lord are kind of drawn to it. So that's not the greatest look here and the fact that he's got to do it. So from there, I'm going to go ahead and read page 450 through the first sentence on 452. thought this is pretty important stuff. It says, Soon he came out alone on the summit of Amenhen. He halted, gasping for breath. He saw as though a mist, a wide flat circle, paved with mighty flags and surrounded with a crumbling battlement, and in the middle, set upon four carven pillars, was a high seat reached by a stair of many steps. Up he went and sat upon the ancient chair, feeling like a lost child that had clambered upon the throne of mountain kings. At first he could see little. He seemed to be in a world of mist in which there were only shadows. The ring was upon him. Then here and there the mist gave way and he saw many visions, small and clear, as if they were under his eyes upon a table, and yet remote. There was no sound only bright living images. The world seemed to have shrunk and fallen silent. He was sitting upon the sight, a seat of seeing on Amenhen, the hill of the eye of the men of Numenor. Eastward, he looked into wide, uncharted lands, nameless plains and forests unexplored. Northward, he looked, and the great river lay like a ribbon beneath him, and the misty mountains stood small and hard as broken teeth. Westward, he looked and saw the broad pastures of Rohan and Orthanc, the pinnacle of Isengard, like a black spike. Southward he looked, and below his very feet the great river curled like a toppling wave and plunged over the falls of Roris into a foaming pit. A glimmering rainbow played upon the fume. And Ethier Anduin, he saw the mighty delta of the river, the myriads of seabirds whirling like a white dust in the sun, and beneath them a green and silver sea rippling in endless lines. But everywhere he looked, he saw the signs of war. The misty mountains were crawling like anthills. Orcs were issuing out of a thousand holes. Under the boughs of Mirkwood, there was deadly strife of elves and men and fell beasts. The land of the Bjornings was aflame. A cloud was over Moria. Smoke rose on the borders of Lorien. Horsemen were galloping on the grass of Rohan. Wolves poured from Isengard. From the havens of Harrod ships of war put out to sea. And out of the east men were moving endlessly, swordsmen, spearmen, bowmen upon horses, chariots of chieftains and laden wains. All the power of the Dark Lord was in motion. Then turning south again, he beheld Minas Tirith. Far away it seemed, and beautiful, white-walled, many-towered, proud and fair upon its mountain seat. Its battlements glittered with steel, and its turrets were bright with many banners. Hope leaped in his heart. 
but against me as Tirith was set another fortress, greater and more strong. Thither eastward, unwilling his eye was drawn. It passed the ruined bridges of Osgiliath, the grinning gates of Minas Morgul, and the haunted mountains, and it looked upon Gorgoroth, the valley of terror in the lands of Mordor. Darkness lay there under the sun, fire glowed amid the smoke, Mount Doom was burning, and a great reek rising, and at last his gaze was held, wall upon wall, battlement upon battlement, black, immeasurably strong, mountain of iron, gate of steel, tower of adamant, he saw it, Baradur, the fortress of Sauron. All hope left him, and suddenly he felt the eye. There was an eye in the dark tower that did not sleep. He knew that it had become aware of his gaze. A fierce, eager will was there. It leaped towards him, almost like a finger. He felt it searching for him. Very soon, it would nail him down, know just exactly where he was. Amin Law, it touched. It glanced upon Tolbrandir. He threw himself from the seat, crouching, covering his head with his gray hood. He heard himself crying out, Never! Never! Or was it, Verily, I come. I come to you. He could not tell. Then, as a flash from some other point of power, there came to his mind another thought. Take it off! Take it off, fool! Take it off! Take off the ring! The two powers strove in him, for a moment perfectly balanced between their piercing points. He writhed, tormented. Suddenly he was aware of himself again. Frodo neither the voice nor the eye, free to choose. And with one remaining and an instant in which to do so, he took the ring off his finger. He was kneeling in the clear sunlight before the high seat. A black shadow seemed to pass like an arm above him. It missed Amon Hen and groped out west and faded. Then all the sky was clean and blue and birds sang in every tree. Frodo rose to his feet. A great weariness was on him, but his will was firm and his heart lighter. He spoke aloud to himself. I will do now what I must, he said. This at least is plain. The evil of the ring is already at work even in the company, and the ring must leave them before it does more harm. I will go alone. Some I cannot trust, and those I can trust are too dear to me. Poor old Sam and Marian Pippin. Strider too. His heart yearns for Minas Tirith, and he will be needed there. Now Boromir has fallen into evil. I will go alone at once. I just really wanted to read that because a few things in there. We were talking about this at the beginning of this book about Frodo having some level of visions. Because there's no way he sat there and saw everything, like from Mordor to Minas Tirith to the Misty Mountains to Moria to Lothlorien. Like, there's, there's just like, that, that, that there is it, more, uh, it's more visualized in sort of like a foresight type of deal. Not like he was physically seeing it. He was simply uh, having a vision of everything that was happening and how everything was because you saw all of it was pretty much negative outside, he said, the beauty of Minas Tirith. But everything else, he's like, the orcs were piling out. The men of the east were on their on the, the bows with weapons on horses and, you know, piling out swordsmen and spearmen and all that. It was all negative. And, you know, there's, it's a, not a coincidence that he saw all this evil while he had the ring on. And that's why I mentioned earlier it was important that he put the ring on to get away from Boromir in a very negative aspect. Because the eye of Mordor almost caught him and found in his exact location. And, you know, that could have ruined everything. Could have fucked the whole shit up, you know? So I definitely thought that that was an important aspect to add there. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about as well, I wanted to talk about uh, the third to last paragraph on page 452 through the first paragraph on page 454. Here's another important part that I really wanted to tackle. And I'll tell you guys, and I'll, you know, obviously I think that you'll see why I think it's important when I start reading it. But I definitely think that it's important to, to go through this. So uh, last paragraph on page 452, it says, We may remain there for a while and make a brave stand, 
But the Lord Denethor and all his men cannot hope to do what even Elrond said was behind, beyond his power, either to keep the burden secret or to hold off the full might of the enemy when he comes to take it. Which way would any of us choose in Frodo's place? I do not know. Now indeed we miss Gandalf most. Grievous is our loss, said Legolas, yet we must make up our minds without his aid. Why cannot we decide and so help Frodo? Let us call him back and then vote. I vote we should go to Minas Tirith. And so should I, said Gimli. We, of course, were only sent to help the bearer along the road, to go no further than we wished, and none of us is an, under any oath or command to seek Mount Doom. Hard was my parting from Lothlorien, yet I have come so far and I say this. Now we have reached the last choice. It is clear to me that I cannot leave Frodo. I would choose Minas Tirith, but if he does not, then still I will follow him. And I too will go with him, said Legolas. It would be faithless now to say farewell. It indeed would be a betrayal if we all left him, said Aragorn. But if he goes east, then all need not go with him. Nor do I think that all should. That venture is desperate, as much so for eight as for two or three or one alone. If you would let me choose then I should appoint three companions, Sam, who could not bear it otherwise, Gimli, and myself. Boromir will return to his own city, where his father and his people need him, and with him the others should go, or at least Meriadoc and Peregrine, if Legolas is not willing to leave us. That won't do at all, cried Mary. We can't leave Frodo. Pip and I always intended to go wherever he went, and we still do, but we did not realize what that would mean. It seemed different, so far away, in the Shire or in Rivendell. It would be mad and cruel to let Frodo go to Mordor alone. Why can't we stop him? We must stop him, said Pippin, and that is what he is worrying about, I am sure. He knows we shan't agree to his going east, and he doesn't like to ask anyone to go with him, poor old fellow. Imagine it, going off to Mordor alone, Pippin shuddered. But the dear silly old hobbit, he ought to know that he hasn't got to ask. He ought to know that if we can't stop him, we shan't leave him. Begging your pardon, said Sam, I don't think you understand my master at all. He isn't hesitating about which way to go. Of course not. What's the good of Minas Tirith anyways? To him, I mean, begging your pardon, Master Boromir, he added, and he turned. And it was then that they discovered that Boromir, who at first had been sitting silent on the outside of the circle, was no longer there. Now where's he got to? cried Sam, looking worried. He's been a bit queer lately, to my mind. But anyways, he's not in this business. He's off to his home, and he has always said and no blame to him. But Mr. Frodo knows he's got to find the cracks of doom if he can, but he's afraid. Now it's come to the point he's just plain terrified. That's what his trouble is. Of course he's had a bit of schooling, so to speak. We all have, since we left home. Or he'd be so terrified he'd just fling the ring in the river and bolt. But he's still too frightened to start, and he isn't worried about us either, whether we'll go with him or not. He knows we mean to. That's the other thing that's bothering him. If he screws himself up to go, he'll want to go alone. Mark my words, we're going to have trouble when he comes back, for he'll screw himself up all right, as sure as his name is Baggins. So there's a few things in there that I thought were super important. Number one, like they try to come up with a plan on which way they're going to go. And this actually wasn't shown in the film. This is one of the things I liked much better about the novel than I did in the film in this one, and we'll talk about that more next week. But the fact is, like Aragorn did try to come up with a plan as the new leader of the company. 
you know, like, like, you know, Legolas and Gimli say they kind of want to go to Minas Tirith, but they will follow Frodo wherever he goes. Aragorn's like, hey, you know, I think that's a good that we we all on the same page. We want to make sure that Frodo gets where he needs to go, but we should split up. I don't think it's smart for all of us to go in the same like direction. You know, if anything, cause a diversion. You know, some go to Minas Tirith where they're needed over there. Some of us go with Frodo, so that way, you know, we're not just one big party that can be easily followed. And then, you know, obviously the hobbits are like, well, listen, we're not leaving Frodo. don't really matter what you all say. It's like it kind of got screwed up there. But then, you know, Sam realizes Boromir's not there. And he said he's been a little bit weird in the head lately, like like from my understanding, from like what I've been seeing. And that's huge because obviously you saw Boromir try to take the ring from Frodo. But they don't know it yet. This has all happened while the other stuff's happening with Boromir and Frodo. So they're they're like kind of at a lot. They don't know what's happening right now. And it's going to play a big role about what's hap- what's about to happen here as well. When, you know, the, obviously the name of this chapter is called The Breaking of the Fellowship for a Reason. So I thought that was a really huge thing to talk about. And then on top of that, they're, they're basically saying that like, Frodo is going to cause a problem. Like, he's going to want to go alone. And that's a bit of a foreshadow, too. They just don't know exactly how he's going to do it. So we're going to have trouble when Frodo comes back to this area. But who knows if Frodo is actually going to go back to that. So uh, from there, I thought this was kind of important, too, that uh, uh, Sam... Like, so they all go running after looking after Frodo. And Aragorn kind of runs up to the seat of Amon-Hen. And that's kind of interesting because he saw the tracks and could follow it. He's a ranger, right? So you can see that pretty clearly. But Sam couldn't keep up with him. And he was trying to usher Sam along. And Sam couldn't keep up. And he, like, stopped. And he really thought about it. And he's like, wait a second. Think, Sam. Think. So he uses, Sam actually uses his brain here to figure out where Frodo would go if he had planned to leave unnoticed. So he was the one out of everyone that figured out, shit, Frodo went back to the boats. And so he ends up going there, and he's trying to get there just in time. And I, you know, to, to that point as well, to kind of close out my takeaways on this chapter, Sam catches Frodo just in time, and Sam really isn't taking no for an answer. And he kind of does that thing where he, you know, see what's kind of cool here, like Frodo has the ring back on because he sees the boat moving of its own accord and like taking a pack there. So he runs after it, tries to get to it, just barely misses it, and Frodo has to drag him up on there and... That's uh, that's when you know Frodo is forced to take Sam with him, and they get to the east shore, leaving the rest of the fellowship behind. And those are the takeaways I have for the breaking of the fellowship. What ones do you have? Yeah, no, that was perfect. Uh, the only thing I'll add to that is one thing I do like about the novel is they kind of capitalize. Um, I don't want to. Well, I guess I can't say capitalize, but they make it more apparent that Sam is actually very intellectual. I think that's one thing they kind of graze over in the films is they make it seem a little bit more like Sam is just Frodo's puppy dog in a way and does what he can to like follow him until of course you know the third uh, installment which we'll get to that much later on Uh, but no I think that's great I think that's a good point you made because it, it really does show that uh, Sam is able to come up with his own intellectual ability. He's not as much like how Pippin is in a way, just thinking about, you know, how many breakfasts he can eat and <laughs> sticking with Frodo <laughs> no matter what. So, yeah, man, no, I'll let you go ahead and take it away for uh, our last chapter here, which um, the next one uh, I'll let you clarify. It's not in this book. It's in the other one. For sure, but I also want to say I kind of disagree with you there when you were talking about Sam. I don't, I don't necessarily think you know the book shows him as more of a smart character or someone of heavy intelligence. To me, it's just like shows me Sam's loyalty to Frodo 
and the fact that he truly understands Frodo on a level others don't. You know, I wouldn't you know consider sure. him the smartest guy in the world. You know, he he knows how to cook, right? He's, he has the whole rope, <laughs> the whole rope situation. Like I I just like he's a brave guy and he's a loyal guy. I think that is the two main key uh, characteristics that describe Samwise Gamgee is that you know he's brave and he's loyal. And so for me, it wasn't so much that like. He's this genius. It's like, all right, I'm calculating this out. Like, Rain Man here, numbers in the hair. Where, where is Frodo going to be? It's just like, wait a second. I know Frodo better than anybody. Like, I just have to, like, what would Frodo be doing right now since I know him better than anybody else? They're off chasing him, trying to figure out where he went. But if I know my guy Frodo, this is what I think he would have done. And he took the chance on it, and he happened to, you know, be it there. So I, to me, I don't think he's terribly smart. I don't think he's dumb either. I just don't think that like intelligence is kind of his character, like defining characteristic. I really just think it's like yeah. his bravery and his loyalty. That's my opinion. Yeah, let me clarify that. What I mean is being able to think on his own. I think one thing the film could have done better a little bit. Like the film did really well in my opinion. We'll get into that next week. Uh, but in a way, especially in like the first film, they kind of make it seem like you know. Sam is, uh, what do they call them? Groupies of a band, like the people that follow the bands for like all the different states, and no matter what, like they're gonna be there to support that band. But what do they actually do for themselves? <laughs> Not a whole lot. So I, I think this was just kind of like that moment in the book where it showed he can think for himself. I guess. The word more would be maybe survival skills, but then again, I don't know how well he could survive. <laughs> so it was it was just a um, it was a good moment for him, I would say. It's like the Ron Weasley uh, <laughs> finally thought for himself at the end there with the Basilisk thing. <laughs> like it's like you finally came up with something, man. Good stuff. I yeah, see. I still disagree with you there. I don't think it's. Like that. I don't think <laughs> it's like that at all. Like, I'm not giving Sam any credit. Man. It's not that I'm not, not giving, giving Sam any, any credit. credit. It's more along the lines of, like I just don't think that the book is portraying what you're you're thinking it's portraying. They're like like survival skills. He's terrible. You got like almost drowned in the damn river. Like you know, I don't think he's at least, like a sense of what survival. You, what, just, you got to give him some credit. Here. I do. Like, That's it why I, a, I, it was a good thought he had. Like you yeah, didn't it is. just like. Uh, you know, I mean, he could have just—he could have just like stood there in the woods and sat on the ground and made a campfire and wonder where everyone was. Like that's something he could have done. But yeah, my point is, he was able to finally think for himself, and I think that was good. It showed that. I don't think it's ever been like a, a, a ongoing theme that he couldn't. That's the thing. I'm not. I don't think he's supposed <laughs> to be like this dumb character. You know, it's just I just don't think his defining characteristics are intelligence. I think. Like I said, to me, what it showed me, it showed that his, that the true makeup of who Sam is, is two overwhelming qualities in my opinion, which I said, bravery and loyalty, and the fact that he's so loyal to Frodo and knows him so well, he was able to determine, okay, this is this makes the most sense of what I think Frodo would do, and so I'm going to take the chance here. You know what I mean? Like, he could have been wrong. You know, he just okay, decided that, true. he just decided that he thinks he knows Frodo better than everyone else, and it turns out he did. But I don't think that's so much, you know, yeah, I think that's just more <laughs> about his connection to Frodo. And, you know, and also it's, it's kind of been like that since the start. You know, they've been kind of tied at the hip even before this whole fellowship thing began, even before the ring was even, a, a, you know, he was a, Frodo's gardener and one of Frodo's best friends from the very beginning. So for me, it just was another sign of maybe like a deep connection, friendship level between Sam and Frodo. That's what I think. But again, you know, everyone's got their different opinions. I got it. I mean, 
And I'm not going to throw the great debate card on this because I don't think there's much to debate <laughs> on him. But he, I won't reveal anything because we don't want to give anything away. But I will say in like the third installment, which we'll get to much later on, Sam has his like moment where he kind of like saves the day for a minute. Like he has two big moments where he kind of like saves the day. Like that had to take some sort of like intellectual thought. Like I just feel like he's not given enough credit. Like people act like he just strolled along for the ride and here he is like he can't do shit I, he's gotta have some credit man we gotta we gotta we gotta give him something feel bad for the guy <laughs> feel bad for the guy I mean, dude <laughs> no one's taking anything away from him i'm just saying like we're, we're at this point in the novels this is where we're at right now i'm just simply stating like from what i saw in this moment that we're talking about i don't think it had much to do with anything like yeah sam's got a lot of like the, to be quite frank if we're talking about the future this whole shit goes to shit if sam's not there like you that's know what true. i mean okay, that's yeah. yeah but i'm just yeah. simply stating from where we are at this point through the series this is this like the, the right here right now what i'm talking about yeah sam absolutely deserves a lot of credit but without him the whole this whole journey this whole quest is is ruined it's done like yeah. you know yeah. so yeah he definitely has his moments but I just don't, yeah, I'm not giving him his flowers for, you know, doing, like, figuring was, out, oh, Frodo's gonna go to the boat, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I was waiting for Jane and L.A. to be like, Sam sucks, man. No. <laughs> Sam sucks. <laughs> Sam's trash. <laughs> throw him out, <laughs> throw him out like something else later on. <laughs> he should have fallen off the Tower of Gondor, like someone will talk about in that third installment. <laughs> Anyways, just kidding. No, I'm defending Sam. I think he's a good dude. Good dude. He got in this group by luck. <laughs> but, hey, you know, he, he he pulled a little bit of weight here. He pulled a little bit of weight off the bench. <laughs> the second stringer. Okay, it's all you, Jay Nelly. Sounds like a plan, brother. Uh, so to go into the final chapter we'll talk about today, and as Chase had mentioned, this is going to be the first chapter in The Two Towers. I'm holding the book up the book to the screen here so you can see we've changed novels at this point in time. Just because if you remember how the film ended, we want to make sure we're, we're stopping at you know comp comparable points uh, between the novel and the film here so it makes sense when we're breaking it down. So this last chapter that we're going to talk about, The Departure of Boromir, I... Uh, the first thing I have is like Aragorn's tracking Frodo. He ran up the steps of Amenhen to gain a vantage point and see across the lands. And he realized on their side of the river, which remember like they're, they're, they boated, uh, parked their boats on the west side because it was like the safer side. Uh, there now he heard the harsh voices of orcs as well as the horn of Boromir. So they are under attack. And now I'm going to read the second paragraph on page four through the last, second to last paragraph on page five says a mile maybe from parth gallon in a glade not far from the lake he found boromir he was sitting with his back to a great tree as if he was resting but aragorn saw that he was pierced with many black feathered arrows his sword was still in his hand but it was broken near the hilt his horn cloven in two was at his side many orcs lay slain piled all about him and at his feet Aragorn knelt beside him. Boromir opened his eyes, strove to speak, and at last, slow words came. I tried to take the ring from Frodo, he said. I am sorry. I have paid. His glance strayed to his fallen enemies. Twenty at least lay there. They have gone, the halflings, 
the orcs have taken them. I think they are not dead. Orcs bound them. He paused, and his eyes closed wearily. After a moment, he spoke again. Farewell, Aragorn. Go to Minas Tirith and save my people. I have failed. No, said Aragorn, taking his hand and kissing his brow. You have conquered. Few have gained such a victory. Be at peace. Minas Tirith shall not fall. Boromir smiled. Which way did they go? Was Frodo there? said Aragorn. But Boromir did not speak again. Alas, said Aragorn, thus passes the heir of Denethor, lord of the Tower of Gard. This is a bitter end. Now the company is all in ruin. It is I that have failed. Vain was Gandalf's trust in me. What shall I do now? Boromir has laid it on me to go to Minas Tirith, and my heart desires it. But where are the ring and the bearer? How shall I find them and save the quest from disaster? He knelt for a while, bent with weeping, still clasping Boromir's hand. And so it was that Legolas and Gimli found him. They came from the western slopes of the hill silently, creeping through the trees as if they were hunting. Gimli had his axe in hand, and Legolas his long knife. All his arrows were spent. When they came into the glade, they halted in amazement, and they stood a moment with heads bowed in grief, for it seemed to them plain what had happened. Alas, said Legolas, coming to Aragorn's side, we have hunted and slain many orcs in the woods, but we should have been more of use here. We came and we heard the horn, but too late it seems. I fear you have taken deadly hurt. Boromir is dead, said Aragorn. I am unscathed for I was not here with him. He fell defending the hobbits while I was away upon the hill. The hobbits, cried grimly, where are they? Where is Frodo? I do not know, answered Aragorn wearily. Before he died, Boromir told me that the orcs had bound them. He did not think that they were dead. I sent him to follow Merry and Pippin, but I did not ask him if Frodo or Sam were with him, not until it was too late. All that I have done today has gone amiss. What is to be done now? First, we must tend to the fallen, said Legolas. We cannot leave him lying like carrion among these foul orcs. But we must be swift, said Gimli. He would not wish us to linger. We must follow the orcs if there is hope that any of our company are living prisoners. But we do not know whether the ring bearer is with them or not, said Aragorn. Are we to abandon him? Must we not seek him first? An evil choice is before us now. So let us do first what we must do, said Legolas. We have not the time nor the tools to bury our comrade fitly or to raise a mound over him. A cairn we might build. The labor would be hard and long, and there are no stones that we, should, that we could use nearer than the waterside. Then let us lay him in a boat with his weapons and the weapons of his vanquished foes. We will send him to the Falls of Roris and give him to the Anduin. The river of Gondor will take care at least that no evil creature dishonors his bones." So that was a that was a tough moment for me because I I think we've mentioned it, but I've never really explained it properly on the podcast of why. Uh, so for those who don't know, Boromir is my favorite character in all of the Lord of the Rings, and I think the reason why is because I resonate a lot with him as an individual. He was someone that like heavy expectations were laid upon him, and. I really feel like he's misunderstood. I don't think he went looking to gain power, looking to, uh, you know, 
like not for selfish reasons to you know I, I think the biggest thing is he wanted to be the hero like he wanted to be the one to lead the charge to defeat like the the great enemy to defeat Sauron and all the enemies at the Black Gates of Mordor and he had on his the weight of the world on his shoulders in terms of like Minas Tirith was like the last stronghold of men before you know if that if Minas Tirith fell the world of men was going to be gone pretty much there was not any other fortress like that could hold back Mordor and they've done a really decent job for what they had up until that point you know outside of of Gondor there's really only Rohan and we'll hear more about them in you know coming later in this book now when we're in the two towers but it's for me it's like and we'll, we'll kind of hear about his father too but it's like even i just talk about it now for where we are here in the moment it's like his father put a lot of expectations on him and it seemed he was fighting the evil inside of himself like i think the pressure just got to him like he he had good intentions in his heart i don't think he ever wanted to do anything evil for his own you know gain I truly think that what he thought he was doing was right. Like he, in his mind, if he was able to take that ring and was able to use the power of it, he would have tried to do it to defeat them. But you know, obviously, the council and everyone kind of tried to tell him a few times, "You can't use the ring against the master. It wants to return to its master." And I think he understood that at a point. But then, like I said, it's like being too close to a Horcrux in Harry Potter. It starts creeping into you to the darkest parts of your heart, the desires that are there. Like you know, for me, I really think he died trying to be the hero of his city. He didn't want Minas Tirith to fall. And that's like one of the last words he said to Aragorn, like, go to Minas Tirith, do not let the city fall. And that's why I, I really do think, you know, his character is someone that's very relatable. If you've ever gone through failures and you know what his last act was? His last act was to sacrifice himself to try to save two hobbits that really you know to this point and they, they they do play a role later so don't get me wrong here i'm not saying anything disrespectfully but up until this point mary and pippin really don't play a huge role so he died trying to save two hobbits that really don't matter too much to the fellowship at this point in time and then, yeah. so i thought that was pretty important and you know obviously in the movie we get to see the actual action happen and it's very much more dra dramatized and it elicits even a, a stronger feeling because you get to see what he does and we'll talk about it more next week and how he falls. Where in the book, you know, they, it just says he, he, Aragorn gets to him too late and he's got many black feathered arrows in his body. And there's like over 20 orcs, at least 20 orcs laying dead around him. You know, imagine that, you know, it's like it's tough to fight one orc. And Boromir killed at least 20 of them by himself defending hobbits. And his last, it's like it was his last sort of recompense right he was making up for the fact that he tried to take the ring from Frodo who happens to be a hobbit so in his mind he's like well this is this is the only way I can make up for this I'm gonna give it my all I'm gonna take out as many of these guys as I can like obviously he knew he was gonna die there was hundreds of hundreds of orcs in that in the woods and he was the only one there that would be able to defend himself like you can't expect Merry and Pippin to take out orcs you know what I mean they're they come up to their knees like what are they gonna do you know what I mean uh, I mean, they, they did try, at least in the film, but it doesn't make any sort of uh, reference to that in here in the novel. So to me, Boromir really did have all this single-handedly. And, you know, it was like the guilt overweighed it, and this was his last action of making up for everything. And that's why I really do, I do, I like him. It's like he does the wrong, he makes the wrong choice for the right reason, ends up screwing up, like a human does, like humans do all the time, and then he 
rectifies it with his last act and sacrificing himself for the betterment of others. And so I think that's why I resonate with him really well. I really enjoy his character arc. Someone who's you know made bad choices but comes out the other side and, and ends up making the right choice. You know, for him, it ended up being the ultimate sacrifice. But you know, I, I really think that he was good under everything. You know, he was a good-hearted person. He just got take, like, he's got his mind and judgment clouded because of his proximity to the ring and having so much pressure on him from leaving Gondor to you know protecting his people. And so that's my thoughts on that. And there's still more to go through this chapter. But before I do that, I just want to get your thoughts on what I said. Like, do you agree with me? Do you have anything else you want to add about you know the fall of Boromir here and you know all that I just said? Yeah, no, that's uh. It's interesting, man. That's like Severus State, man. The only thing he was missing was he should have been mean to those children. <laughs> they would have had a lot in common. <laughs> not to make this about Severus Snape, but you know, Severus is, if not my favorite character in Harry Potter, it's a tie between him and Hermione for me. So uh, <laughs> that's why this kind of resonates with me. But side note on that, not to make this about Severus, but someone put a note on our tiktok shout out to uh you guys on tiktok i was talking about patronuses and how you got to be pure of heart to conjure them and someone asked me about snape's patronus and i told him it was a dough and someone says if you think his ass was pure of heart you're surely mistaken (laughs) but bring it back to warmy here i definitely see where you're coming from and that's a um that's um an interesting point because i think he is very misunderstood just like you you said um the film i do like the fact that you can kind of see how his relationship with mary and pippin grow which we'll talk about that next week um but you're right like i think if you're looking from boromir's perspective like he kind of thought I mean, of course, he it's kind of like legendary, this Isildur's heir thing, right? So he kind of thought he was that role, like he was going to be that guy. Um, so I can definitely see how that's the case. Um, and I, I think you're right, looking from this perspective, I think he is very misunderstood. And this kind of is... They're, this is a big loss i mean it's overlooked a lot like how big of a loss it is like gandalf was big but this is also like a heavy blow like you're talking about i mean besides aragorn as far as like um skillful wise like legolas is is skilled being an elf and able to use a bow but that's more probably like archery i would say as far as like being like a true brawny like warrior um you know it's a big blow like you really don't have any other um i mean basically all you have right now is boromir legolas and aragorn and you just took a huge loss we know gimli ain't doing shit like sorry i like gimli but (laughs) no gimli your role (laughs) your role is to make funny jokes and hold on to that hair of yours that you got from Gladriel. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do. Your book was <laughs> one before this, and you happen to not be around. That's where your daddy came in. <laughs> and your daddy did well. Also, your your grandfather, your grandpappy, Thorin, son of Thrain. We'll leave it to them. 
Your job is to make funny jokes as they ride in the boats and sail down the river. <laughs> That's your job. So, yeah, but <laughs> on a real note here, I know it's funny, <laughs> but on a real note here, and I don't have anything against Gimli, but on a real note here is this is a heavy blow for the team, man. Like, this is your um, starting wide receiver, I would say. I wouldn't say he's, like, the quarterback of the squad, but he's a, he's a heavy blow, and yeah, I think you're right. I, I think um, it, it kind of resonates differently with some people, um, I would say, because of the way they've seen him portrayed so many times in the film. But they forget to take a step back and actually look from his perspective. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's just sad to see him go, man. It, it's sad to see him go, man. I mean, uh, I mean, maybe if he was like, you know mean to children and could produce a patronus i could get on board he'd be one of my favorites but i'll leave this one to you man (laughs) he's your guy he's your guy brother back to you man sounds good i will disagree with you i think gimli is very much a a warrior but i don't think uh, obviously i do think uh, boromir is probably more Remember the film we'll get into that later you have to toss me (laughs) what kind of warrior does that say (laughs) i don't know he comes up pretty well. Scream warrior to me. <laughs> Doesn't not... scream warrior to me. Nothing against well, Gimli. That's, He's a, that's great a guy. terrible take. That's the worst take you might have ever had. Because I can't <laughs> talk about it right now, just simply because we haven't gotten there just yet. But if you remember, he kept up pretty well numbers wise with uh, another character in terms of deaths and kill counts. I'll say that. For oh, a, for I what? do remember, for, and you so... know, I'm taking the opposing position when we get to that part. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm biased, that's why. Keeping up with that, though, <laughs> even being anywhere near it, when someone can kill someone from distance, and you have to be up close, and you're short, and you have only one little weapon you can use, that's really impressive, but I'm not going to get into that right now. going to get to the rest <laughs> of this. Fair enough, fair enough, fair Got enough. It. Fine, I'll cut him some slack, man. Cut him some slack. He's no Sam, but I'll cut him some slack. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go ahead and take this next part here. Uh, this is another passage that I want to read from this. It's just going to, it's th- the third paragraph on page six through the, the first third on page seven. Again, this is in Two Towers. This is, it says, uh, And Aragorn looked on the slain, and he said, Here lie many that are not folk of Mordor. Some are from the north, from the misty mountains. If I know anything of orcs and their kinds, and here are others strange to me, their gear is not after the manner of orcs at all. There are four goblin soldiers of greater stature, swart, slant-eyed, with thick legs and large hands. They are armed with short, broad-bladed swords, not with the curved scimitars, usually with orcs, and they had bows of yew, bows of yew in length and shaped like bows of men. Upon their shields they bore a strange device, a small white hand in the center of a black field. On the front of their iron helms was set an S rune, wrought of some metal, of some white metal. I have not seen these tokens before, said Aragorn. What do they mean? S is for Sauron, said Gimli. That is easy to read. Nay, said Legolas, Sauron does not use elf runes. Neither does he use his right name, nor permit it to be spelt or spoken, said Aragorn, and he does not use white. The orcs in the service of Baradur use a sign of the red eye. He stood for a moment and thought. S is for Saruman. I guess, he said at length. There is evil afoot in Isengard, and the west is no longer safe. It is as Gandalf feared. By some means, the traitor Saruman 
has had news of our journey. It is likely, too, that he knows of Gandalf's fall. Pursuers from Moria may have escaped the vigilance of Lorien, or they may have avoided that land and come to Isengard by other paths. Orcs travel fast, but Saruman has many ways of learning news. Do you remember the birds? Well, we have no time to ponder riddles, said Gimli. Let us bear Boromir away. But after that, we must guess the riddles, if we are to choose our course rightly, answered Aragorn. Maybe there is no right choice, said Gimli. So that I thought that was pretty important there because it details the fact that Saruman has his own army now. Like, you know, they're all following Saruman. Like, Gimli, not the, not the sharpest tool in the shed, thinks the S is for Sauron with the white on there. And Aragorn's like, hey, man, that's not true. That doesn't make any sense. They, you know, he doesn't allow his name to be spoken. And everything is black and red with the Mordor. This is white. Obviously, there's something different here. And yes, so... Anyways, they set up Boromir's body on one of the boats. They put his enemy's weapons in there along with his own weapons, his belt and his horn. And I will go ahead and read the, the final departure here of Boromir. And that's going to be the second paragraph on page 8 all the way through the end of the song on page 10. So bear with me guys here. I'm going to go ahead and, and take it away. But Sorrowfully, they cast loose the funeral boat. There Boromir lay, restful, peaceful, gliding upon the bosom of the flowing water. The stream took him while they held their own boat back with their paddles. He floated by them, and slowly his boat departed, waning to a dark spot against the golden light. Then suddenly it vanished. Roris roared on, unchanging. The river had taken Boromir, son of Denethor, and he was not seen again in Minas Tirith, standing as he used to stand upon the white tower in the morning. But in Gondor, in days and after days, it was long said that the elven boat rode the falls and the foaming pool, and bore him down through Osgiliath, and past the many mouths of Anduin, out into the great sea at night under the stars. And for a while the three companions remained silent, gazing after him. Then Aragorn spoke. They will look for him from the white tower, he said, but he will not return from mountain or from sea. And then slowly he began to sing. Through Rohan, over fen and field, where the long grass grows, the west wind comes walking, and about the wall it goes. What news from the west, O wandering wind, do you bring me tonight? Have you seen Boromir the tall, by moon or by starlight? I saw him ride over seven streams, over waters wide and gray. I saw him walk in empty lands, until he passed away. Into the shadows of the north, I saw him then no more. The north wind may have heard the horn of the son of Dinathor. O Boromir, from the high walls westward I looked afar, but you came not from the empty lands where no men are. Then Legolas sang, From the mouths of the sea the south wind flies, from the sand hills and the stones, the wailing of the gulls it bears, and at the gate it moans. What news from the south, O sighing wind, do you bring me at eve? Where now is Boromir the fair? He tarries, and I grieve. Ask not of me where he doth dwell, so many bones there lie, on the white shores and the dark shores under the stormy sky. So many have passed down Anduin to find the flowing sea. Ask of the north wind, news of them the north wind sends to me. O Boromir, beyond the gate the seaward road runs south, but you came not with the wailing gulls from the grey sea's mouth. Then Aragorn sang again. From the gate of kings the north wind rides, and past the roaring falls, and clear and cold about the tower its loud horn calls. 
What news from the north, O mighty wind, do you bring me today? What news of Boromir the bold? For he is long away. Beneath Amenhen I heard his cry. There many foes he fought. His cloven shield, his broken sword, they to the water brought. His head so proud, his face so fair, his limbs they laid to rest. And Rorus, golden Rorus falls, bore him upon its breast. O Boromir, the tower of the guard shall ever northward gaze. To Rorus, golden Rorus falls until the end of days. So passes Boromir, son of Dinathor, lord of the tower guard at Minas Tirith. My guy, it's going to be sad, it's not going to be around, but he made a last stand worth remembering. And so the last couple things that I have here, uh, just to close this out on my takeaways, is Aragorn correctly guesses what happened and how Frodo and Sam left together. And Aragorn also kept secret the words that Boromir told him of Boromir trying to take the ring from Frodo. He never told Legolas or Gimli, which is, you know, solid move, bro move right there for sure. Uh, so Aragorn finally makes a choice to follow the Orc Horde to try and save Merry and Pippin and leaves the fate of Frodo to Frodo himself and Sam. And then the last couple things is just the two paragraphs that close out the chapter on page 12. Yes, said Aragorn, we shall all need the endurance of dwarves, but come, with hope or without hope, we will follow the trail of our enemies, and woe to them if we prove the swifter. We will make such a chase as shall be accounted a marvel among the three kindreds, elves, dwarves, and men. Forth the three hunters, like a deer he sprang away, through the trees he sped, on and on he led them, tireless and swift, now that his mind was at last made up, the woods about the lake they left behind, long slopes they climbed, dark, hard-edged against the sky, already red with sunset, dusk came, they passed away gray shadows in a stony land. And the chase is on, baby. The chase is on. We got Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas ready to fuck that orc horde up. Get Merry and Pippin back is the goal. We're going to see how it turns out. And those are my last takeaways for what we covered today. Turn it over to Chase to give his last takeaways too, and we'll jump into some debates. Last takeaways are just the ride continues, man. <laughs> Even though, uh, you know, we've closed out the fellowship, we've started this... Uh, big badass book here which really is like the thick of it of this entire franchise so uh looking forward to that man it just feels like we flew through the fellowship though like we we flew through it man but um yeah what uh debates and stuff did you have my debate here it's kind of fun because it's, it's all gonna be because it, it, it doesn't happen it's just gonna be like a what if scenario and so we're gonna debate about things that don't actually come to pass but my question to you and the audience at large is just what do we think would have happened if Aragorn's initial plan actually happened? Let's say that. Like, let's say half went with Frodo and Sam, the other half went to Minas Tirith. Do we think that they could have avoided some, you know, talking? We can't talk too much about the future, right, because of where we are right now. But do we think that some of the, the evil that befalls Frodo and Sam could have been avoided if they had other people in the company or do we think you know it would have been easier for them to be found you know and, and made their journey even harder and actually be counterproductive and uh you know what do we think about that do we think if let's say Aragorn and Gimli go with Frodo and Sam and let's say Legolas, Merry Pippin and Boromir go to Minas Tirith like where do we think how do we think that goes how that goes in terms of the end result 
You know, that's so funny because we've been on the same page all day. That's my exact debate <laughs> I had. That's really funny. Like, literally, I had one little tiny piece to that that I'm actually going to bring up right now anyways because it actually is just supporting, like, my argument for this. <laughs> that was my exact debate. Uh, my argument is if that happens, you're well, one, you're in a much better situation. I don't think all the orcs come there because the only reason I think so many of those orcs wound up being in that situation there is because Frodo put on the ring. And when you put on the ring, it acts almost like a tracker. And if Boromir goes with Legolas and Gimli, and then Frodo goes his own direction, then you don't have that at-risk moment of Boromir tries to take the ring, which really great guy great guy but man he fucked this whole shit up <laughs> like he like this is his fault <laughs> like i mean sorry but i mean and i'm on uh you know i'm glad he went down fighting like the hero he is but man like you can argue like this whole situation wouldn't have happened i mean you're theoretically in a better much better position because the enemy doesn't know where you are and now they're being tracked so now you're in deep shit, which is going to lead us into the big climax of book two, which we'll get into in a long time from now. But that's part of the reason you have such a shit show in book two is because your boy Boromir decided to be... I get it. Like, there's not really a whole much you can do, but they should have stuck to the plan here. My Also, my support to what would have happened in this situation as well is... Uh, call me biased... No Fs given. Legolas is kicking some ass, man. Legolas is kicking some ass. He's been around a long-ass time. He's one of the best archers in the game. He's going to defend those hobbits with Boromir. Even in the film, you saw he was kicking ass, taking down like six people, even killing people with one arrow, two people with one arrow. He's a beast, man. He's even got those big-ass blades, elven blades, does some elven shit, chopping some up like a butcher. Chaka chaka chaka, kicking some ass, taking some names. Boromir's gonna knock down like 20. Legolas gonna knock down like 400. You know, shit's going well. Shit's going well. Marion Pippin, not being taken by any orcs. You know, not lost. No kidnapping. We're all in a hunky dory here. Gimli's telling some jokes on the side, standing up on his little stool. Standing up on his stool, you know, on the on the stone there, overlooking. Has a nice view, maybe taking some photographs. Maybe taking some pictures, doing some sketches, you know, doing some dancing, <laughs> doing some dancing, singing some songs, singing some uh, Misty Mountain songs. When the Misty Mountain calls, he probably sing something like that. Meanwhile, Legolas and Boromir do all the work, man. You don't have this problem. Boromir goes back over to Minas Tirith. Uh, Daddy's happy. Daddy's happy. So you don't have the big issue like you have in book three. And it's going to make this path so much easier because i'm sorry but this is the same situation of star lord star lord was a great guy but we know what happened in infinity war he lost his damn cool and it fucked the whole shit up man and that's what happened that's what happened so i think if they all went their same ways and stuck to the strategic plan but everyone decided to react on emotion in this situation and emotions get you, man. And that's the difference between a tactical military leader like the elves that have been around for so long with Elrond 
and men because the fall of men happened with for instance a sealed door because they react on emotion and that's what got him in this situation so you wouldn't have ever had this problem boromir would still be alive if they all stuck to the roles they were supposed to play off to you that's my argument first off the gimli slander is crazy like this is, <laughs> this is, this is out of control <laughs> gimli Legolas and boromir would kick ass gimli would have told some jokes Tell some jokes. <laughs> Gimli's a badass man. You are so disrespectful. But anyways, I I, I actually like this is a few, one of the few times I think where we'll disagree uh, like all the way through and through. Like I I think it's completely the opposite. Number one, nothing was ever decided. Like this, like Frodo was off trying to figure out in that hour what he wanted to do, and this is something that Aragorn came up with on the fly. So Boromir wasn't there, didn't know the intention of the plans. He already knew he was going to go to Minas Tirith himself, regardless. He wasn't. They, they weren't there at that point in time. It was just Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn talking about, "Hey, like, what do we? What should we do when Frodo comes back and makes his decision?" So they, they didn't even know. No one really knew. So I did. What ends up happening? I, I, the Boromir still dies. Like, they, I don't think that changes at all. And the orcs, they they come anyways because if you remember, Aragorn t- like woke up in the night and told Frodo to check his blade, and he checked his blade and it was glowing blue. So the orcs were on their way regardless. It wasn't because he like put on the ring. Maybe the ring let him find him faster. That's possible. Yeah. But, like, the orcs were already there. They were pursuing the fuck out of him. They were already shooting at him from the other side of the shore, so they knew where they were at. Like, like that, that really doesn't change much at all. So, that, like, if Boromir still dies. Like, that still happens. But, like, let's say, you know, they get to Frodo before he goes off and, you know, the other side with Sam after they, the orcs already ran off with Merry and Pippin at this point, And, you know, he, they come up with a whole ordeal like, all right, you know, half of us go with you. The other half go try to save Merry and Pippin. We'll all meet together happy at the end, whatever it may be. So, like, let's say at, the, the, at this point you have Aragorn with Frodo and Sam. Like, I still, I honestly think it, it would not be beneficial. I think that he would be good, a good companion to have in certain aspects. But I also really feel like uh, it puts a bigger target on them. You know, because they get, I can't say this, but things happen with Frodo and Sam, and they get in a couple tight spots a few different times. And if you, if people realize you've got the heir of Isildur with you, like, I don't know if he survives. And if he doesn't survive, we're kind of like, the the world of men's fucked, number one. (laughs) Number two, you already expect the star player to go with the hardest road. Like, you expect him to be the one that is with the ring bearer. You know, so like then all of a sudden it's like, oh well, now we know where the ring is. So like, like awesome. You know, that's why they thought like you know they took Mary and Pippin, and you know they are now chasing them down. I, I, I just think it really it really screws up what is meant to happen. I, I think this is the best way it could have been because you know someone else comes back and plays a major role. I'm not talking about um, you know the like a certain rising. I'm simply talking about someone they thought could be of evil actually ends up being kind of helpful at first. I'll say that, you know, that I don't think that really happens uh, if Aragorn goes with them, you know? Uh, they have a little bit of a past, the one person, I'm, the, the creature I'm talking about in Aragorn. And, you know, I don't think that kind of happens there. Unfortunately, because of how uh, dark and desolate and, you know, corrupted this creature is, he happens to know his way uh, across things that I don't think Aragorn does. And so I don't know, man. I really do think that it screws up more than it helps. I really think that this was the right move. 
is that the like hey we're gonna go get our boys Merry and Pippin back or uh, we're gonna leave the ring bearer to do ring bearer things he's got you know someone with him at least to help out and it's a lot more easy to sneak undetected with two little hobbits that are what three foot tall than with like this huge ass guy that's got this sword that was broken that's remade that's uh, elven stars on it like you're gonna draw some attention man <laughs> like you can draw some attention you know they're gonna figure out where the hell you're at and they're gonna realize like oh well of course this guy's gonna be with the one protecting me like, you know obviously like you're the strongest and most uh you know the biggest leader of the pack now that that gandalf's bit the dust Right? So, I don't know. I really think it actually screws things up more than it helps, and that that's my opinion on it. I mean, I can, I can see your side of things. I just... I think you have... It's, it's tough, because I think you have a better chance of the group surviving if they would have stayed to their roles. Because... Because one, there's a tactical plan and advantage there. Um, but I mean, it, it's possible. I just don't. I, I I understand what you're saying about the orcs, and they were already on their way. I just don't think it would have been as much of a massive influx as it was if Sauron hadn't basically, you know, located Frodo and where he was. Um, and then Boromir wouldn't have basically been by himself, <clears throat> is what he would have. But no, I mean, I mean that's that's the tough debate here because it's just like Galadriel said, you know, you're walking the edge of a blade, <laughs> you know, one false move, and this is the situation you're in. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it's I can see your point. I can see your point. It's just you know. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that Boromir wouldn't have survived if Legolas was there. I mean, Legolas, I mean, he can take down elephants, man. I mean, there's not very many people that can do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> keep in mind, shit. I was say, keep in mind, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so that's the first thing. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, on top of that, though, I just, like I said, like the way that it was set up in the setting in the book when the orcs came, no one they weren't near each other like yeah like that's that's one of the biggest differences and we'll talk about it next week like they came well see at least aragorn aragorn did not fight one orc in that field at all in the book at all mm-hmm. like he was up right. at the seat of amahen trying to look at stuff then heard the the, the horn of gondor yeah. heard that the orcs were like you know yelling and screaming and so he like runs to go towards that area and it's at about a mile man it takes a little minute to run a mile if you're a fast guy you know let's say I think what the fastest world record time of a mile is what four minutes and fifty six seconds or something like that. And so you know, average people, you're gonna run it in like seven minutes if you're in good shape. So that's a that's a seven minute run. And you know, he actually and during that run came across no orcs, fought nobody, and he came to see Boromir already had taken the damage. So they weren't they weren't together as it was. They all went out and searched for Frodo. So like Legolas and Gimli wouldn't have yeah. been with him anyways. Like you know what I mean? That's that's the whole thing. Like I yeah, I, I can see it. I think you won this debate. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's sad to see him go, but yeah, yeah I just don't. <laughs> it sucks. He's a good dude, man. He's Eddard Stark, man. Eddard Stark. <laughs> yeah, he didn't act like Eddard Stark in this book, but uh, <laughs> you know, he's a he is a good guy. But yeah, I definitely think that Boromir dies regardless. Um, and that's, that's actually another thing too. Like, it's almost a good thing that he got waylaid by himself because it sucks that he died alone fighting. But if all of them were there, 
it's going to be tough for, let's see, Legolas, Gimli, Boromir, Aragorn, four people to take out, like, hundreds and hundreds of orcs. Like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. No matter how powerful and how skilled you are with the blade, you're going to get tired. There's, like, eight people for each one of you. Yeah. Like, it's it's not, like, they're going to get, they're going to be fucked. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's one thing, Legolas being able to pick some off from afar with his bow because, you know, they're, they're however far away and they're not going to yeah. come back and turn around and try to fight after they got the hobbit. That, their whole plan, with the orcs were the plan from Saruman was to grab the hobbits, take them to Isengard. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, right. you know, so, like, if he's picking them off from distance, they're not going to turn back around and go fight him again they're just like shit let's get, keep it moving you know what right. i mean so i just i, I, I think that. that happens anyways and you know i definitely think that if any if aragorn went with frodo and sam and they get caught up in any of the things they get caught up in aragorn probably doesn't survive it the world of men kind of falls and then definitely know who's got the ring at that point because the best guy is going to be with the ring right so yeah I, I definitely think you know like i said that those are my thoughts on it but yeah man I mean, do, you, do you have anything else that you want to bring up or anything before we close out for the day I just, uh, we'll talk about this next week, but I love the line, find the halfling, (laughs) find the halfling, I smell men flesh, (laughs) that's in uh, this book, (laughs) but yeah, no, it's, uh, no, it's, uh, we'll talk about the new, the movie next week, and all I'll say is uh, I was really impressed, Uh, I was really impressed, is exactly the way I remember it. Just like reliving my childhood. It was fantastic. Uh, great stuff, man. You want to close us out for the day? Absolutely. That's the thing, too. Like, I, the one thing I wish that this book had done was give us a battle scene to see Boromir's Last Stand. And I'm happy that the film gave us that. And we'll we'll talk more about that next week, like you said. But, uh, yeah, man. So, we, we, we hope that you all enjoyed the episode today. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. I, uh, we hope that you stick around. Click that like button, subscribe, leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts, leave us star review ratings on Spotify, follow along with us on social media, and just in case you don't know where to find us on social media, I'll help you out. You can find us on Instagram <laughs> at official ridiculous patronus. You can find us on TikTok at ridiculous patronus. You can find us on Facebook, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. Find us on Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy. Find us on Snapchat, RP Factor Fantasy. We've got our own website, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. You can find us there as well. Uh, you know, if you have been joining us for quite some time. Chase always says, thank you. You're the, guard, the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. And so you'll know exactly where to find the podcast. But if you don't, I'll help you out with that, too. <laughs> you can go ahead and find <laughs> us. If you have an iPhone, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. If you got an Android, you can find us on Google Play. You can find us on Spotify. We're on iHeartRadio. We have a YouTube page. We are on uh, Audible. We're on Amazon Music, Stitcher, Acast. Wherever you get your podcast, Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy are there. But we're out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy, signing, signing off. off.